Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Sex, Love, and Addiction. This show was created to provide accurate expert information and support for those seeking insight into the painful realities of cheating and infidelity, sex and porn addiction, as well as the relationship between chronic drug abuse and paired sexual behavior, commonly known as chemsex. I'm your host, Dr. Rob Weiss, a licensed therapist, addiction specialist, sexologist, clinical educator, and author of 10 books on intimacy, addiction, sexuality, and relationship health. This podcast is a forum for discussing sex, love, and addiction in frank, fact-based, informative ways. My primary goal is to bring you clear advice, opinions, and feedback from some of the world's most renowned experts in human sexuality, trauma, addiction, mental health, and relationship intimacy. This show is sponsored by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs, which are also dedicated to providing expert-focused, highly specialized residential treatment for men struggling with sex, porn, and related addictions. You can learn more about Seeking Integrity and my work there at www.seekingintegrity.com. Now let's get started. Hi, this is Rob Weiss. Welcome to Sex, Love, and Addiction, the podcast. I'm really glad you're here with us uh, right now. And um, I'm going to begin a discussion today with a colleague and friend named Noah Church. Say hi, Noah. Hi, Noah. Oh, very well done. Um, (laughs) Noah Church is uh, an expert, uh, a coach, and someone who's written and been involved in the evolution of the porn addiction treatment world. And you would think, well, sex addiction, that's porn addiction, right? But maybe not. And it's important that we pay attention to this. And and the reason I'm very appreciative to Noah being here is because I'm not entirely sure that the people who were seeing me for porn and sex addiction for the last 30 years are necessarily this same group of young men who are struggling with porn and some women. So I think it's really important. You know, I, I can be a grand poobah and say, oh, I've done lots of research. I've done lots of, I've been working for 30 years. I know this population, but that would be me being a jerk <laughs> in my opinion, because I only know as much as what's happening right now. And I actually have a lot more interest in what this gentleman has to say, because he is here to really talk about not only what um, young men and women are struggling with, with around porn, but, but what he's trying to do to make a difference. So let me read a little bit about Noah Church to you guys. And I love his bio because it's personal and it's real. And um, yeah, it's Noah. <laughs> so as one of the first children of the internet age, Noah Church began using internet porn by age nine. It was only at age 24 that he realized how much of a negative impact his use of pornography had wrought on his life, and he was determined to quit. He is now the author of WAC, Addicted to Internet Porn. He's a public speaker and a recovery coach who helps those suffering with porn addiction and porn-induced problems. And I'm going to ask him in a little bit um, to let you know where you can reach him and how you can join his site or be involved with Noah's work. But first, we're going to chat for a bit. So welcome, Noah. Thank you, Rob. That introduction means a lot to me, and I really appreciate the opportunity to come on here and speak with you because you are a world-renowned expert in sex and love addiction, and I really value that you're open to learning a little bit more about the younger populations who grew up under the influence of internet porn and open to seeing the differences in how their struggles with that pornography and sex addiction has developed and the different needs that they may have rather than simply casting them in the same light as the patients that you've had in prior years. That means a lot to me because I was one of those people who had those problems and I see them every day and they're in pain and often they don't know where to go to to turn Mm -hmm. for help. 
And so I really value that you're here talking with me today. Well, I'd like to be more than here. I'd like us to join together and, and work together because I don't know if you've noticed, but if you talk to your average person, you say, oh, I'm a sex addict, or you said, oh, I'm a porn addict, neither one goes over particularly well with your general population. Yeah. And so we both have stigma to fight and we both have people to support. And I want to say to everyone who's listening that I, I, I'm not sure that the same degree of work, the same kind of therapies, the same length of work, the same type of work is applicable to all, to so, many of the young men and women that Noah is interacting with. Because I've always known a sex addict for the most part to what I consider to have an intimacy disorder that is fairly pervasive, meaning it affects their dating life, their relationship life, their sexual life. Sometimes it's a porn that pulls them away. But if you take the porn away, they go to a hookup app. If you take the hookup app away, they go to see prostitutes. And so for the sex addicts that I've always worked with, part of defining them has to do with fairly deep early trauma in both the men and the women, followed by a, an adult life where they really struggle with sex and intimacy in every area. And simply taking the porn away or simply moving them into a more loving, intimate relationships or helping them connect makes them feel good for a short period of time, but it doesn't solve the problem of their sex addiction. And I do think, and Noah's going to talk about more, that it may well be that some of these folks who get hooked on porn at 9 or 11 or 15 or 17 have different issues and therefore need different treatments than those people that I've traditionally worked with. And boy, Noah, am I open to this because we don't want to alienate you guys. We want to help you. Yeah, absolutely. And I appreciate that very much. So what are the primary differences that you see or that you hear about when you hear sex addiction talked about, let's say about by older folks like me versus you know what you hear your peers talk about when they're dealing with porn addiction? Well, I want to be clear about my perspective on this. I'm not a clinician, a researcher, a scientist, or a medical practitioner. I had personal experience with pornography growing up. I know the kind of damage it can have on one's personal sexual health, one's relationships, one's mental health overall, and the benefits that can come from going beyond it and becoming porn-free for someone who has developed those problems. I wrote a book on the subject, so I'm an author, and now that evolved into me as a recovery coach, helping those who have seen my content and want to get some personal guidance. And so... I have the perspective of someone who hears these stories from people every single day, and that's where a lot of my knowledge comes from. I read the research, and more and more uh, scientific research is coming out about understanding the effects of long-term consistent pornography use on the brain. But as we were talking about before we hit record, it, the research isn't all there yet. We don't have a full understanding, scientific understanding, of the neurological and psychological differences between sex addicts traditionally and pornography addicts who grew up or developed that addiction during the age of the internet. And just remember, Noah, we don't have a diagnosis in the United States for sex addiction, period, no less porn addiction. Right. We are going to have a diagnosis of the World Health Organization starting this year and going into next year for all the countries except the United States <laughs> for uh, compulsive sexual behavior disorder, right. which I think will cover both issues because they are both forms of different forms of compulsive sexual behavior. And that may be a, a more useful, you know, then we're, then we're going to be, have a need for a diagnosis in the United States and that's when the research will kick off. But right now a lot of it is overseas. So, you know, we're, we're not in the dark also as sex addicts, but we, we, we've not officially recognized any more than you are. So there you go. We're in the same pot. Well, I'm, I'm very glad to have heard about that development with the World Health Organization, but there is a danger in just having that one category for both sex mm -hmm. and porn addicts because that mm -hmm. brings up a danger of conflating the two. And you asked me about what I see as the differences between the two. And you know, myself, I grew up in 
relatively happy home. I had two parents who loved me, a sister, um, no experience of acute trauma, sexual or otherwise. And yet I became addicted to pornography and it prevented me from experiencing true romantic love, intimacy, sex, until into adulthood when I realized the cause of those problems, which was pornography. How did you realize that? How did you get from, oh, this is a fun thing to do after school or whenever to, mm -hmm. I think this is interfering with my life. Like, how did you figure <laughs> that out? Uh, for a smart kid, and I was a smart kid, it took me an incredibly long time to make that connection. And it happened slowly that those problems developed. It was like, I don't know if this is actually true, but I've heard the story before that if you put a frog in a pot of water and slowly boil it, the frog won't notice the temperature change because it happens slowly and will just stay in the it's pot true. until it dies. And that's what I felt like happened to me. In the beginning, it was just out of curiosity. Like I'd always had a pretty strong sex drive. I was always interested in women. And so it wasn't too long before I had that bright idea of searching the internet for pretty pictures of pretty ladies, which was what I wanted to see. And of course, I got a lot more than I bargained for because the internet has that and much, much more. Uh, and a lot more. In this yeah. pit of uh, sexual imagery. And over time, curiosity became compulsion. Mm -hmm. And it began to replace my drive to actually connect with people in my life mm -hmm. to date. Instead, it was just easier to turn to pornography and get some temporary satisfaction that way. And it didn't take long before I escalated to seeking out content that when I first encountered it, disgusted me, repulsed me, was against mm -hmm. my sense of morality. But then as time went on, I started to crave that content and justify it to myself as, oh, it's just fantasy. It's not a big deal. And so my sexual tastes actually changed, escalated, warped. Mm. But it wasn't really until I was 18 and had my first serious long-term relationship that I really realized something about me was broken because we loved each other. We wanted to have sex with each other. We were both virgins and we tried. And no matter how many times we tried, no matter how attractive objectively I was to her, my body just wouldn't respond. And I was not able to have sex. And I didn't know what was wrong. I did what anyone of my generation would do when confronted with such a deeply personal problem. I asked my friend Google what was going on. And Google told me that if it wasn't a physical problem, you know, if I could get a right. by myself, if I didn't have some sort of physical disorder, malady, injury, then it must be psychogenic. It must be emotional, stemming from my fear of intimacy or my anxiety about performance. And so I figured, okay, well, maybe that's it. Maybe I just need more time getting used to actually being touched by someone else and touching mm. someone else. And so we continued to try. It occurred to me at the time that maybe I just masturbate too much and I'll just give that a break for a while. So I didn't masturbate for a couple of weeks and we tried again. Still the same thing. I might you know, get aroused momentarily, but it would always leave and die off uh, before you know anything could happen, before we could actually have sex. That's so humiliating. I would, I would imagine humiliating, right? And especially if you cared about her. I mean, just... I said that I didn't have any trauma that really led to my use of pornography, but my use of pornography led to trauma. Is that really trauma? <laughs> yeah, right. I, you know, was broken up, broken up about it. I felt like a broken man, not capable of you know being 
a lover being a full partner to my girlfriend at the time. Right. And I didn't know how to talk about it. I was ashamed of it. I didn't know where to turn to for help. I couldn't talk about it with my girlfriend. I would just make lame excuses. And eventually I just felt bad every time I was around her because this was all I could think about. And I broke off the relationship thinking, okay, maybe, maybe we're just not meant to be together. Maybe I'm not really attracted to her. That's sad. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it was sad. And then I went off to college and had, you know, many more relationships, but the same pattern repeated again and again and again. And I thought, you know, it can't be the masturbation of the porn because I stopped it for a couple of weeks and I tried that again a future times. I figured if a couple of weeks without it couldn't, you know, cure me, then that must not be the problem. And so eventually I just got so frustrated and broken up and just uh, just so tired of that cycle, trying to connect intimately with someone and encountering that same brick wall and that shame. And I just didn't want to try anymore. So I stopped pursuing relationships for a while. I started focusing more on other aspects of my life. I was developing myself as an adult after college, Mm -hmm. after I had graduated. And eventually I got to the point where I was feeling good about myself and other aspects of my life. And I knew that I knew that it was time to confront this issue once and for all, that I couldn't just keep living like this, that I knew that having that intimate connection, that sort of relationship is something that I needed to be a happy person. And can I ask during this time when you're trying to figure it out, you know, that period mm-hmm. when you're working on developing your professional self or school or whatever the other things you were doing, were you still, had you gone back to masturbating porn? I had never left it for oh, a couple so of weeks at a time. Oh, it was just I'm, that I three weeks. Break. I see. I think the longest I went without was about a month. And that was when I was working a summer job fighting wildfires. And can I ask, how frequently were you masturbating to porn and for what period of time mm-hmm. during that frequency? Like three hours a day, three days a week, or one hour mm-hmm. a day, five days a week? Or what was the typical? It's difficult to remember exactly. And it, of mm-hmm. course, changed as time went on. Sure. You know, in high, high school, it was almost every night uh, for probably a half an hour to two mm-hmm. hours. Sure. And... In college, it got less frequent because I often had, you know, roommates. I was right. busier, um, more social There's life. Beer, <laughs> right? And so, some years it was like once a week, twice a week. When I lived in my own room again, it got more frequent, but probably not back to the level of high school. But even if it if it didn't escalate again, it still was the sole outlet for you for any kind of intimate connection, intimate sexuality relationship sexual i mean it was the go your only go-to i wouldn't use the word intimate <laughs> to describe my use of well a replacement but, for i yeah. mean the only it was the most intimate you got i wasn't i know it's not mm-hmm. intimate, but i mean that as close as you got was just the porn for a long time well i mean i had much more intimate experiences with women just you know kissing them or being right. emotionally intimate with them i valued or those hanging much out more than my use of pornography mm-hmm. but i never was able to escalate to the physical level of you know consummating that intimacy on a sexual mm-hmm. level because of that problem I had that I still didn't understand at the time. And, you know, after college, it's, it's difficult to remember how often it was, how frequent it was. It was probably a few times a week, probably mm-hmm. ebbed and flowed. You know, it wasn't ridiculous amounts. I wasn't, it wasn't 10 times a day or... I'm guessing you would agree with me, and I'm not sure, that it, it isn't really... I mean, this is what I would say about general sex addiction. It's really not about how many times a week or... Right. or it's not about what you're looking at. It's not about how often you're looking. It's about how it's affecting your life as a whole. That's a gross misconception that I encounter all the time is, well, mm-hmm. like how many hours a week means I'm addicted? Right. And it, it doesn't work that way. It's about the impact it has on your life. And really, it's difficult to tell if you might have addictive tendencies until you actually recognize that it's something you want to leave behind and try to do so. 
And if you find yourself breaking promises to yourself, you find it very difficult or impossible to leave behind, no matter how much rationally you believe you should do so, that's when uh, I start to think about addiction. Mm -hmm. And at that time in my life, I had never really tried to leave it behind. And throughout this period, after college, I... I heard hints. I think I remember a friend saying once that he didn't use porn because he read an article that it could cause sexual dysfunction. And yet somehow at that time, that wasn't enough for me to do more research. I think a part of me didn't want to know the truth because that part of me wanted to hang on to that crutch of pornography mm-hmm. and didn't want to recognize how destructive it was for me. But as I was saying, eventually I got to the point where I realized I needed to confront that what was happening with me and heal and get to the point where I could actually have the type of intimate relationship that I wanted. So what did you do? So I turned to my friend Google again. Google then came back with something actually helpful, which was Gary Wilson's TED Talk, uh, The Great Porn Mm. Experiment. And that was my light bulb moment because he talked about this new generation of people who had grown up under the influence of internet porn and who were unable to have sex, many of them, maybe for the first time, or guys who had been having sex, but then had began using more porn and lost their ability to have sex with a real partner. And talked about the science behind that we currently understood at that time, how pornography can impact the brain and our sexual health. And talked about the guys who anecdotally were leaving porn behind as a personal experiment. And experiencing benefits, not just recovering from sexual dysfunction that they had developed, Mm -hmm. but experiencing many emotional benefits as well. Uh, Greater ambition, feeling more connected to the people around them, feeling more empathetic, happier, more confident, more energetic, all these ways in which they anecdotally were saying that quitting pornography had benefited them. Basically, you're saying what I would, I mean, so far we're we're in complete sync because I would say sex and porn addiction both leave people Mm -hmm. being less creative, less engaged, less relationship oriented, more isolated, tend to be more depressed. You know, you're living in your own little world, whether it's with the porn or with, you know, people that you don't really know, it's still your own little world and you're alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I saw this video and then that opened up Pandora's box and I just started to read everything I could get my hands on, uh, looking through the new forums, internet forums that had that had began around recovery from porn-related problems and pornography addiction. Uh, yourbrainrebalance.com was the first one that I started to explore and I made an account. I, I know, like I, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel for the first time in years because I could see myself in all these people's stories. I could see my experiences, mm-hmm. my emotions and the stories of these guys who had experienced what we called porn-induced erectile dysfunction. And so I decided, all right, this is it. Like, this is my time. I've got to leave pornography behind forever. It was so clear. And so I decided I would start by writing out my entire history with sexuality, with pornography, with masturbation, with relationships. And so I basically just wrote for three days straight, and I posted that to that forum. And that was the beginning of my journey. And over time, I would continue with that journal logging experiences I had as I got farther and farther away from pornography. I was also in a new relationship at that time, and I shared with her what had been going on with me. She was the first person I ever told about you know, my inability to have sex, about my, my porn use, about everything. And that opened up sure. the core of myself because I had built up a lot of walls around that part of myself because I was ashamed. And as, as we all know, Addiction thrives in isolation and secrecy. 
And so it felt really good to start breaking down those walls and and telling more friends and eventually telling my family what was going on with me. And I could start to experience it getting better and not just my sexual dysfunction, which gradually did get better. I was eventually able to experience sex with my girlfriend at the time for Yay. the first time after about <laughs> two and a half months. And it wasn't perfect. It wasn't great. I mean, but it worked well enough. It was really about 10 months or 11 months before I felt fully recovered from the sexual dysfunction. But throughout all that time, I was experiencing many other benefits. I, I felt like color was coming back into my life in many ways. And mm -hmm. I realized that that stimulation of pornography that is greater than what our brains, I think, evolved to handle because it, that part of ourselves that responds to sexual imagery or stimulation, it doesn't recognize what's on a screen and what's in real life. Hey there, I sure hope you're enjoying this Sex, Love and Addiction podcast. Before we continue, I'd like to remind you that if you or someone you know or love needs treatment for sex addiction, porn addiction, or co-occurring drug problems, Seeking Integrity can help. For more information, please visit our website at www.seekingintegrity.com, that's seekingintegrity.com, or call us at 747-234-4325. So Noah, no, let me let me just get a couple of things yeah. in because there's some stuff that I wanted to say about your story. So just to say it, I, I and and other people have heard me say this. So I think it's important for me to say I'm not anti, I am not anti-porn no more than I'm anti-alcohol right. because I think that most people do fine with alcohol. It's just a small percentage of people who don't. And I do believe there are lots of people who look at porn. It's not a problem for them, but there are some who do, and we need to understand how to help the folks who do have a problem and not to uh, make the issue bad, but rather not make the sex bad, not make the drinking bad, but more make uh, an issue of concern if it happens to be a, an issue, a problem for a particular person. I do hear in your story something that's a little different than I would say most healthy younger people. And that is that um, I would never, ever, even though I say, you know, my opinion, porn is not the worst thing in the world for everybody. It is for some people. I would never encourage any parent to allow their child to have access to porn before age 14 or 15. And so your involvement at nine, I have to say, is premature for any human being to be exposed to that. anything before you're fully through puberty is too early to be exposed. So you were damaged by what you saw at an age where you were too early to ex to understand what you were seeing compared to if you'd been looking at porn when you were 14. Um, so a piece of that I just want to say is, is part of this, whatever, wherever you would have ended up, I want everybody to hear that it is not okay for a nine-year-old to look at porn. It's not okay for an 11-year-old to look at porn. And if somebody's 15 to 18, it's up to what their family decides and what goes on in that house. How do you come to that age where you draw the line, 14, 15? Because that's when fetishes evolve. Um, if you understand sexual development, fetishes like paraphilias, things like uh, S&M, leather, panties, uh, feet, foot fetishes, all of that, all we understand about fetish development is around 9 to 11. So like mm -hmm. you were talking about those issues, those things that you looked at, you did, you know, it escalated, your behavior got into odder and odder things. Uh, first of all, that's when you're, sexuality is still developing um, as opposed to post-puberty. So there's the, we run the possibility that that child's going to end up with a fetish, which is not a terrible thing, but it's not something that everybody might want to deal with. And the other right. thing is that you're simp there's something called a latency period uh, in child development that is somewhere around 9 to 11. It's usually when kids say, ew, have sex with a girl. Ooh, I want to hang out with my friends. You know, it's that little age, right? It's tweeners. <laughs> 
And tweeners uh, need to have that period of peer bonding without sexuality before they move on to fear to their individual sexuality at 12, 13, 14, 15. So there, if you are exposed to porn in an excessive way before puberty, it's going to cause damage to anybody who has that experience, not diminishing in any way yours. I just wanted to say for everybody else, please don't let your nine-year-old look at porn. Don't let your 12-year-old look at porn. Don't let any kid look at porn before they're a full-on teenager. And then it's a discussion about who they are, how they're functioning, and how the family feels about it. I would never say that pornography should be banned or absolutely no one should look at pornography. I think I believe in personal choice and personal freedom in that regard. I think that everyone should educate themselves about yes. the potential harms of pornography use. And their children. And, yeah, I think that everyone could benefit from if they are a consistent user of it, of just you know giving it a break for a while and see mm -hmm. what you notice. If Is it really hard to give it a break? Well, if you cannot do so, and it might have more control over you than you think. It might be more of a problem for you than you think. Or it might be easy, but you might notice other benefits of leaving it behind. Like I have yes. many friends that I've talked to about this who you know, I wouldn't, I don't think that they really suffer with addiction to pornography. They don't have the same experiences that I do. They never lost their ability to have sex. But many of them who, after learning about what I had gone through, decided to give it a break for a while, found that they encountered many benefits, such as more passion and attraction mm -hmm. in their relationships. And certainly if you're in a partner relationship and your partner is saying, I don't feel that we're intimate enough, I don't feel we're being sexual enough, I don't feel like I have enough of your time and attention, and you're giving a lot of time and attention to porn, they may be feeling that in ways that you don't see because you just don't think it's a big deal. Right. No, I, I, I want to talk to you for like three hours and I have like three minutes. So there's a couple of things I want to ask you. First of all, will you come back and can we talk more? Because I think there's a lot for us to discuss. I would love to. Yeah, I think there's a lot more to discuss. I would also like to ask, you know, I do live webinars online and I would love to have us have this discussion live or maybe put you on sex and relationship healing uh, mm -hmm. on a regular basis to do some, I mean, we can't obviously do therapy online, but do some coaching, do some outreach on a group. Like I want you to represent if you're interested. Anyway, I'm pushing that out to you in public that I would love to have you involved because I think to see sex and porn addiction in different boxes mm -hmm. is like seeing alcohol addiction and drug addiction and all the chemical dependencies in different boxes. The mm -hmm. truth is, is that an addict is an addict. They We show similar problems in our life functioning when we get addicted to something. We show similar forms of defending and not seeing the reality. We need similar forms of challenge and confrontation and pain to change behavior. And then we need to take steps to change it that usually move involve moving away from what we were doing before. Mm -hmm. So I should just ask you, what do, what do you see as being the difference between a sex addict and a porn addict? Yeah, I definitely wanted to jump in and speak a little bit more about that. And I don't think there is a clear line where we can say, you're, you're definitely a porn addict, you're definitely a sex addict. There's a very blurry middle in there. And I've, I've never spoken with a sex addict who didn't also use porn or for whom porn wasn't a part of that addiction. I don't know, you've, you've spoken with a lot more than I have. Well, I would say to me, that's like most drug addicts drink. You know, it's not their thing, but they'll have a couple of drinks anyway, you know, kind of thing. But... The majority of people that I see in my coaching business are primary porn addicts. And a lot of them maybe have never even had sex. And mm -hmm. I would definitely not refer to them as a sex addict. How can you be addicted to something you've never experienced, never had at all? Could we say that they have an intimacy disorder? Yeah. Well, I'm not, I don't diagnose people, but for those people, pornography is what they feel a compulsion towards. Right. And leaving that behind is often the only way that they can actually achieve that sort of healthy intimacy that they really crave, that they really desire. Now, 
Certainly, I work with people also who might have a primary pornography addiction, but escalated in that behavior into perhaps using paid cams or real life uh, sex workers, uh, engaging in behaviors that are destructive sexually with other people. And that's where the line gets a little bit more blurry. But Mm -hmm. the majority of people who I work with, their behavior, their destructive sexual behavior is rooted primarily in their pornography use. And that's where it started. And I guess my question is, if you take the porn away from them and you say no porn for a month, Mm -hmm. but you can do anything else you want, would you see universally that their sexual behavior would just stop or that some of them would move on to cam girls or some other form of fantasy based sexual behavior? Uh, I would include cam girls in pornography or cyber sex and anything on a screen Right. you're seeking out for arousal. It can even be like Instagram models or whatever. It's something that most people right. wouldn't refer to as pornography, but our brains know the difference. Let me tell you where, when our worlds are going to come together seriously, and you and I are going to have to have many conversations is with VR porn. Yes. Mm-hmm. And not just VR porn, but VR cam girls and boys, because I've actually had that experience of having a VR camera on my head and looking at a VR cam girl and, and being in, you know, in, in her intimate space with a headset mm-hmm. on. Uh, because I was doing a, a documentary for Vice. And and I got to tell you, I couldn't tell whether that was woman. Uh, you could not have asked me. I couldn't have told you if that woman was in the room with me or not. Mm. Uh, all I knew is she was really close to my face. She looked really warm and nice. And I just really want, I thought she was lovely and I wanted to be with her. Mm. And my, I don't mean sexually, I just want to spend time with her. <laughs> she was being nice to me. And the warmth and the feeling and the connection I got from VR was so radically different than anything I've perceived in a two-dimensional space that I thought about all these men that I used to work with who spent hours and hours and thousands of dollars on phone sex. Mm. And I realized we're going to lose a lot of people when VR comes around. There's going to be an exponential increase in people who are going to lose themselves to online imagery that they feel is just as real as the real thing. Yeah. Now, I left porn behind before VR porn was really a thing. Right. So I never experienced that. I've spoken with people who have. And, you know, we need a lot more research on the effects of VR porn on on people and Mm -hmm. on their relationships and such. But... I actually hypothesize that perhaps, you know, while it might be just as addictive or more addictive or more, it might hook Mm -hmm. more people into using it more often, that perhaps it might actually be less likely to cause sexual dysfunction because it is more similar to actually being in a room with someone else and less. But it, that, that's what makes it that much more addictive, would be my suggestion yes. to you, is it feels so much more powerful that why would I even need to go see see that whole idea of, you know, you talked about it, and I think it's worth saying, you talked about a longing for connection, which I think is your health, right? That the masturbation porn was enough that you did want a girlfriend, that you did want a relationship, you did want a connection, and, and you couldn't get that with the porn or even cam girls. I will suggest to you that having done some of that VR relationship stuff, not VR porn, but talk to people with the VR headset. And it feels like I am in a relationship with them, that that longing for connection goes away by talking to them in the VR headset. And so my fear is it's more intense, more exciting, more entrancing. But on the other hand, it's no, you're still sitting alone at home by yourself. Only now you're even more, now it's, you're pursuing a person and not some, you know, anyway. I'd like to make a distinction here though, between addiction and the sexual dysfunction that can arise from pornography use. Because I certainly do work with many clients who develop a sexual dysfunction from pornography use, but I would not say that they have many addictive tendencies. And once they learn that pornography isn't just a fun pastime, that it's actually harming them, they can leave it behind and Mm -hmm. not deal with urges, not deal with relapse or slips or any sort of temptation. Just because they recognize the harm and that's enough for them to leave it behind forever. Some people drink too much, they get a DUI, and then they're like, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm never doing that again, and they don't. Whereas 
many other people get to that point, but they keep breaking those promises to themselves. And that's right. That's where it's more addictive. And so, well, the VR pornography might be just as or more addictive than Ugh. the state of current pornography that you can just go on a website and see. I'm curious to see the experiences uh, that we will see in the future from guys mm -hmm. who do get hooked on that, whether like how it affects their real life relationships, real life sexual intimacy. Yeah, here's a thought for you. I mean, just when I did the VR porn for Vice, the documentary, what I, what I did notice, the therapy part of me that was watching was this could be a way out. In other words, I could see men and women being intimacy trainers, intimacy coaches, mm -hmm. where I could be there as a young man saying, I don't know how to ask a girl out. How does this sound? And she could say, you know, that's not quite right, but you don't, why don't you try this? Or in other words, because it feels so real that I can also see the therapeutic, you're coaching in the room with them, mm -hmm. you know, a live benefit. In other words, it, you know, it's good and it's good. It's going to be good and it's going to be bad. Yeah. Really quickly, if you can say, what can I do? What can, and I'm, I'm speaking I as the field of sex addiction, those of us in the field, those of us who have, you know, made our reputations, written the books, mm -hmm. developed the resources, open treatment centers, you know, what can we do for your generation that you, or what can I do for you? What can I do to help? This is a perfect start. You know, talk to us, have conversations with us, uh, get our voices out there along with your own, learn Good. what you can about our issues, do research if whenever possible, right. and start educating people about the potential harms of pornography use on themselves, on their children, because we need to start talking about these things. In my childhood, I think I had one conversation about sex with my parents, and I don't blame them for that. I mean, my my father's perspective, and I've talked to him about this since, is that, well, like, I never wanted to talk to my parents about sex. I figured you'd just figure it out on your own. But Mm -hmm. Kids now aren't just figuring it out on their own. Internet porn no. is telling them what it's like, telling them what sex is. And we, can't, we yes. can't let that stand. And you and I might stand up for parental education. I mean, that's a huge issue. And and I would say and agree with you. And every time I talk about this, it's like, I, I don't think we live in a culture where parents have the option to no longer talk to their children about Absolutely. sex. Because only, and here's a statistic for you, only 20 states in the nation offer sex education mandatory. And of those 20 states, only 12 of them, uh, 12 of the other 20 require parental permission. So most of the children in this country are not getting such a sex education at all. And those who do are getting it from pornography. And who is going to talk to them about sex having anything to do with intimacy, relationships, dating, any of it, if it's not going to be a parent? Right. So maybe we could really focus on that. Tell us, Noah, how can people find you if they want to reach you after hearing this podcast? They can find me at my website, addictedtointernetporn.com. And there they can see all my content. I put out a lot of videos, articles, podcasts, etc. You can get a free PDF copy of my book, actually, if you subscribe to my newsletter there and also find ways to work with me personally if you choose to do so. Such a gift. No, I really, I can't say how much I value what you're doing. And I really, in every non-commercial and supportive way, want to be there to try to help because I know what it was like to sit in front of many a therapist who said, you have what? No, that's not really an issue. No, you know, and I don't want the, your generation to come in and say, oh, no, no, you don't have a porn addiction. You have a sex addiction. Let me tell you what that is. Right. Because that would be the, you know, and, and we're, you and I are in a place where we can make that difference now before it's too late. So I'm really glad to know you, meet you. And um, folks, I hope you support Noah. Noah, can we get a GoFundMe started for your masters? I'm just saying. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> okay. It would be helpful. Your <laughs> mental health education would be great. I would love to give it to you for free. But um, thank you for your time. And we will be connecting again soon, hopefully uh, live answering people's questions. That's what I'm hoping to do. Yeah. I really look forward to our friendship evolving and seeing what we can do together in the future. Back at you, friend. Thank you so much. And, and folks, thanks for being here on Sex, Love, and Addiction. 
Hi, this is Dr. Rob again. Thank you for joining us today. If this show has inspired you to seek further information for yourself or someone you love, I encourage you to visit our treatment center website, which is www.seekingintegrity.com. There you'll find some useful information about the residential treatment we provide, which I think is some of the best, most useful, short-term effective intensive care you can find for sexual addiction and compulsivity, as well as combined drug sex or chem sex problems. On SeekingIntegrity.com, you can find some useful advice and direction for healing. And don't forget, if you want to write me about this podcast or reach any of my guests, please write me at Rob at SeekingIntegrity.com. I really look forward to our next time together. Take good care.